0: Strike Force Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force Energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason. The fight will always follow you, and it waits for no one. Buck Sexton here for Strike Force, and I invite you this summer to join us in giving back to America's troops. Over the last three years, Strike Force Energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this battlefield-proven liquid directly to your door. Strikeforce Energy Liquid Packs, available in four flavors, have zero sugar, zero calories, and are made with only the finest ingredients. For the fuel to power through your toughest fights, simply add Strikeforce to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice cold beer. Go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeforceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strikeforce Energy is the fuel for the fight.
1: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
0: The media flips out when Trump says there could be violence after the election happens, but we all know which side that violence is likely to come from if it were to happen. We'll talk about that and also allegations of racism against a republican gubernatorial candidate looks bogus to me folks we'll talk about that and also what is rapid onset gender dysphoria here's a hint the left doesn't want you to know so we'll talk about it that and more coming up
1: this, this is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One,
2: all, make.
1: make. no mistake. America. Ready. You're a your great America again. The Buck Sexton Show
3: begins.
1: Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
4: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
3: Florida elections are always competitive, and um, you know this is a guy who, although he's much too too liberal for Florida, I think he's got huge problems with how he's governed Tallahassee. Uh, you know, he is an articulate spokesman for those far left views, and he's a charismatic candidate. And you know, I watched those Democrat debates; none of that it was, it was my cup of tea. But I mean, he performed better than the other people there. So, so we've got to work hard to make sure that we continue Florida going in a good direction. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. Welcome to the Buck
0: Sexton Show, everybody. I played for you there some audio. That was from that was from Fox, where you had the uh, the gubernatorial nominee from the Republican Party for the state of Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis. And he was talking about the, the Democrat candidate who just came through the primary, Florida just had their primary, and he was discussing their differences on policy, and he said what you heard there. He said that let's not, let's not monkey things up. He means to, to say let's not mess things up by doing things like what his opponent wants to do, which is a 40% corporate tax rate hike or you know any number of far-left progressive policies. But you see DeSantis's opponent is African American, and because of the term that DeSantis used here, now the left is playing the game they always play where they're just saying that uh, DeSantis said something racist. Oh that's right. he's a racist folks. that was a you see that was a dog whistle to use the term monkey up" in a general sense in reference to policies and to the way that a state is being run is racist because the person who opposes you, they're saying, happens to be black. They are creating a racial connection where there where there is none, or a racist connection where there is none. Um, but this tells you a lot about the way the left, the way the left plays the game. They they this is one of their favorites. I would note when somebody has a turn of phrase or or, or says anything that could be even. Vaguely construed as uh, as racist. E- Even if they will admit that it's it was accidental, they'll say, "Well, it was it was kind of a Freudian slip." Then that it was accidental. And I, I you know there there are different times where this has come up. I, I think of the. I feel very badly for him still, honestly. This e- uh, wasn't. I don't know if he was an ESPN announcer, but it was a, about a tennis match, and he said that, you know, Serena Williams was in or no Venus Williams was engaged in guerrilla, meaning little warfare, Spanish for little war, guerrilla tactics. But he said guerrilla because that's the Americanized version of it. Guerrilla tactics uh, in, because he was doing an, or, or she was doing an, an all-of-the-above approach to try to win the match, right? Moving around, strategy and everything else. She was just throwing everything in the kitchen sink. And he said guerrilla tactics, and he got fired for that. Got a lot of trouble. You know, the guy's life is you know, altered for the worse because people don't like even the possibility of something being said that some could think was racist. Uh, I remember during, during the, uh, during the Olympics, uh, I I forget when it was, I think it was a a few years back. There was a, uh, a young woman, African-American woman who was on the U S team and she did an event and then right afterwards, previously scheduled commercials for, and it was a commercial for, I think, an animal hospital or something, but they had a, uh, a, a, a small monkey that was engaged in an acrobatic event or whatever, but it was supposed to be, it, it was completely separate from the Olympics, but it's just because of the, the frames and how it changed over, and people were outraged about that. It was clearly, an, you know, there, there was no intent there of any kind, but there was outrage, right? There was, there, these, those two things had nothing to do with each other, no one was trying to make them have anything to do with each other, no one was trying to imply any kind of a racial slur or anything else, but they still got so upset about it. This is how the left does what they do, folks. It doesn't matter that it's unfair. It doesn't matter that it's a slander. If they can get away with saying something was a slur, even an unintentional slur, they will do it because it is so politically useful. In in the case of the the guerrilla tactics, by the way, that, that incident... I mean, really break this down, folks. Does anybody think that an announcer who who is who is describing the game would would say would would intentionally use a racial, not even a, a, you know, a a racial form of language or racially tinged language to talk about one of the greatest female tennis players of all time? I mean, is that it's the equivalent of saying this guy wanted to basically in a career sense, light himself on fire on live TV. I don't think that that's what he was trying to do. Okay? I don't think anyone really thinks that's what he's trying to do, but there's so much sensitivity around it. And here with with DeSantis, they realized that you know DeSantis I think is is going to he's going to win. He's going to win it. And this was their big opening today. Oh my gosh, so much so much uh, anger and rage thrown at DeSantis about about this comment. That that no what, what what are they really saying here? It's a dog whistle, really? They think that DeSantis would just insert that phrase in that way and deal with all the allegations of racism that he knows is going to come from the dishonest left, for dog whistle purposes. It's just idiotic. There's no. It's not just that there's no motive for him to do it. All the motives go in the opposite direction. But they. But they, again, they're not really analyzing this in any kind of a serious sense. Uh, there was. Uh, On MSNBC, an analyst who offered this, I mean, this is where they go with this on MSNBC. Look, I played the audio for you. You heard it. You know. This is how they analyzed it over over at, uh, wait, actually, no, I'm sorry. Before we get to how MSNBC analyzed it, here's how the opponent, Andrew Gillum himself, uh, was talking about DeSantis recently. Wait, Wait, producer Mike, was this in response to the comment or is this just in general? Yeah, Buck. This is and in I'm response to the com- on our. Uh, yeah, it's in response to the comments. This is in response. Yeah. Okay. That's. Uh, oh he was on gosh. with uh, Shep. Uh, Smith. Folks, here's what the here's what the opponent. Yeah. Here. Here's what the opponent said about it. Play twenty one.
5: It's very clear uh, that Mister. DeSantis is uh, taking a page directly from the campaign manual of Donald Trump, uh, but I think he's got another thing coming to him. If he thinks that in today's day and age, Florida voters are going to respond to that level of derision and division, they're sick of it. Uh, what we're trying to offer in this race was is that a most or, or where fric- we want to go as a state.
4: Was that racist or a figment of speech? Well,
5: uh, well, uh, uh, in the, uh, the handbook of Donald Trump, there, they no buddy. longer uh, uh, do uh, whistle calls. They're now using full bullhorn.
0: That is so slimy. That is so slimy. What he just did there. Notice how he he was asked a specific question after Shep Smith, you know, butchered the phrase. Is that a figment of speech? It's figure of speech, Shep. But anyway, it's a good thing they pay him, you know, ten million dollars a year or whatever. Uh the the question that was asked was, was it was what DeSantis said racist, and what his opponent, who's up there grandstanding on TV, says is. Well, Donald Trump says racist things, which is a way of saying, well, I'm not going to say that what he said was racist, but I kind of want to imply that he's a racist and make my base think that I'm kind of saying he's a racist. I mean, it was just a, it was a slimy maneuver. Uh, And that's what, that's what Gillum did. Uh, That's what he offers up. Now, he'd much rather have, for base uh, turnout purposes, Gillum would much rather talk about that than, for example, what he uh, wants to do in the state, which he also told Shep Smith here, let's hear about this play play 22.
4: Since you mentioned money, Mr. Mayor, you, you also ran on universal health care, lots more money for schools and especially for teachers raising the minimum wage to $15 for, for all Floridians specifically, Mr. Mayor, if elected governor, how are you going to pay for that?
5: Yeah. Well, what we have proposed is an increase in the corporate tax rate, which in the f- state of Florida is an lower than our neighboring where to where. states of Alabama and Georgia. Uh, right now, we're at five and a quarter, and we've uh, suggested going up to just over seven, that which puts it. us in line with many other states. And part of what we've – it creates a billion dollars uh, in funding for our public education system. Uh, and part of it is is that I just don't believe that corporations choose states to locate in when they are 40th out of 50th in the public education system.
0: I, it's not even it, none of this even really holds together. I mean, it's just yeah, corporations and public education. I mean, what? No, they set up where they think they have a favorable business climate. I mean, public education. Ah, oh, boy. Um, he also, I think he he wants a fifteen dollars minimum wage. Look, it, it's the progressive, it's the pr- progressive wish list this guy's offering up, uh, and and the left is embracing this now. And you know, a, a figure he's he is uh, look, he's he's somebody who they probably are already thinking of at a, at a national level. I mean, he win, wins the governor's race in Florida. They'll start, they'll start talking about this guy going way beyond that, which is obviously already a big job. Uh, but it, it's so frustrating to see it, and, and I know that we've come to expect it. I know you expect it too, but to, but to try to pile on to DeSantis here and say that he implied something racist, we we, we got to push back against this, this stuff with all, with all that we can, folks. We can't let them get away with this game, right? We can't let them tag people as racists who haven't done anything to deserve that at all. Full stop. We can't allow that to happen. Uh, it's it's a smear tactic. It's a, a grotesque mischaracterization on purpose by people on the left. And, you know, MSNBC jumped in. I mean, this guy went... This guy, uh, Mark Thompson, went even further. Play Play 23.
2: The benefit of the doubt in thinking that he uses this term in non-racist ways, otherwise, and maybe didn't think it through. Is there any possibility of that? No, there's no possibility of that whatsoever. But you Why heard, would he you've use heard people use the term "monkey something up" or interrupt. No, it you've not heard it ever. No, I, I, that's not. No, I don't. People don't say. Who says? I've never heard anybody say that. And, and, I've I mean, heard people say it in non-racist terms. I'm well, that, that's in in the environment in which I live as an African American. That's not something that's normally said. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anybody who says that. Frankly, right. maybe it's just I'm divorced for that. But look it's not a dog whistle when you say monkey in reference to an african-american he might as well have just said the n-word donald trump needs to condemn this desantis needs to immediately apologize and or drop out of the race i'll mean, be very very clear about that this is absolutely racist and if he gets away with it this time he's going to continue to do it you they did it to the obamas referring to them as primates and now he's going to do it to andrew Gillum.
0: monkey up to hack together hardware for a particular task, especially a one-shot job, or an extremely uh, temporary uh, solution to hack up or mess up. That is from Webster's Dictionary, folks. So now we're at the point where we're going to say that things that are in the dictionary, as a general term, are inherently racist, and we don't actually think that they're real terms. This is, you're getting a snapshot of the leftist mindset here. It doesn't matter. The fact that you can go into a dictionary, as I just did, and find that monkey up is a phrase in common usage, but now you'll have commentators go on TV that say that's not even a phrase. And you know what? Even though it's wrong, obviously, and anybody with, with literally three seconds of research can prove it wrong, as I just did, People are going to hear that. They're not going to want to do the research because you know what they want to hear? That a Republican is racist. And this just reinforces that. And that's what the MSNBC audience wants to be told. They don't want to be told the truth. They want to be told that Ron DeSantis is a racist. So they put somebody on TV who will say, oh, that thing that he said, yeah, he's racist. And take it even further and say he might as well have just used an explicit racial slur. This is, stu- this is stupidity. I mean, this is, uh, MSNBC should be ashamed of itself, but I don't know if they're really capable of shame. They should be ashamed of themselves, though. Um, we, ha- we have a lot more we got to talk about, my friends. Um, 844-900-2825 on the lines if you want to chat. 844-900-BUCK. I'm back in the swamp in D.C. Man, it is swampy down here today. It's like, It feels like 100 degrees. I was walking around today. I was basically swimming through the air. That's how humid and gross it is. And then there's all the swamp stuff that goes on with people that are selling access and all the rest of it. But uh, we've got, we got a, a pack show for you. I, I did see this headline... I want to dig into a little bit of uh, Sarah Palin not invited to the McCain funeral, huh? Um, there's there's something there, I think something that we need to uh, need to discuss a little bit of. And then I, I mentioned uh, President Trump's comments about uh, violence, possible violence uh, with the election. I, I will get to that coming up. Where, where does politically motivated violence come from these days? We all know it's the left, even though they pretend otherwise. We got that and more. Stay with me.
2: Let's be clear also about what's going on here. The theme here is I'm Donald Trump and I'll protect you from the scary black people. Antifa is widely perceived as an African American organization. And this is just part of the same story of LeBron James and Don Lemon and Maxine Waters and the NFL players and the UCLA basketball players. Mm. This is about black versus white. This is about Donald Trump's appeal to racism and It just happens all the time, and we never say it, or we don't say it enough for what it is, but that's what's going on.
0: I mean, Jeffrey in there, the chief legal analyst at CNN, is a moron. He's a moron. And you know I don't like to call names, but he's actually an idiot. That's the dumbest thing I've heard in a long time. Antifa is widely considered a, a black organization. That is an outright falsehood that anybody who pays any attention to the news cycle should know. That is a complete and utter lie. In fact, I can tell you, having covered protests in person where Antifa was in their full, you know, battle rattle, head to toe, street warrior gear stuff, I've actually never seen, personally, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, I've never seen a black member of Antifa. I mean, if, if we're talking about Antifa as. The black block that shows up, remember black block, a reference to the clothing, head to toe, the black block that shows up at some of these events and engages in violent counter protests, they call it. I mean, I'm not saying they don't is, but I've actually never even seen somebody who wasn't white, who is part of a black block and engaging in violent so-called counter protests It's really just rioting. But there is no person. okay? forget about my anecdote for a second. There is no person who thinks Antifa is a black organization. It is, that is lunacy and idiocy from somebody who is revered over at CNN. I mean, he should have been laughed out of the building for saying that. Antifa's black? No, it's not. Oh, my gosh. It's, uh, it's amazing, though, folks, who they will elevate. I mean, they're probably, they're probably paying that guy a million dollars a year plus to go on TV and blah, 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 say a lot of stupid stuff. He's a terrible legal analyst, too, all the time. He just tells liberals what they want to hear. Through the 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 uh, the facade of objective legal analysis, I mean, he's just there to launder liberalism for CNN's audience. That's what that's what he does. That is his role. Um, I don't know. Perhaps he he does that well for them. But I just I I had to just jump on that. I mean, yeah, Antifa is known as a black organization, not by anybody who knows anything. Dumb person. I was going to call him. I can say the A S word, right? A dumb Absolutely.
3: person. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, dumbass. There we go. Thank you. Mike gave me permission. The guy's a dumbass. Things are getting crazy. I feel a little better. Yeah, the fuck's getting wild today on the show. I feel a little better about things. Yeah, that's right. I feel like I got to let loose there for a second. Sorry, if you got young ones listening, an ass is another name for a donkey. Um, so there you have it. Uh, we will talk about this Trump comment about violence in the election. I think it's very important we dig into that. Maybe a little bit of uh, what's going on with Palin and the uh, McCain funeral and, and oh so much more. So stay with me. he's holding the line for America.
1: Buck Sexton is back.
0: Welcome back team. We've got a lot of lines lit. I want to take some calls from our friends out there. First, George in LA. George. Welcome to Freedom Hi, Hub, buddy. man. I'm sorry we didn't get to hang out in LA. We were in, I was in your hometown for a few days.
4: Oh yeah, and you saw all the scooters. Those scooters all, all over
0: scooters. the place, man. It's crazy. Scooters are taking yeah, over.
4: Really? Well, I just wanted to tell you, Shield. High, Buck. You have really a sharp analytic mind, and to be able to sit there and look at all of these factors coming up, and be able to comment on them, uh, just.
0: Thank you, right, sir.
4: Directly, I really appreciate that, and your honesty and straightforwardness, and um, uh. I, I feel a kinship because I was kind of – I'm old enough to have had a college ex- and graduate school experience to be able to look at things and, you know, uh, judge antecedent conditions and what the consequences are after, you know, they're there. And I just wondered, what do you think or how, how are we going to deal with these um, – uh, You know, neo-Marxist, Alinskyite type people, if they can't or won't even deal with standard usage of the English language.
0: Well, this is you know, it's become a big issue for me, and I've been thinking about doing more in-depth research. And quite honestly, I think there's actually a book, a book in this for me, uh, because I really want to attack the issue of the way the left. Uh, changes and then leverages and weaponizes language, and it's usually a gradual process. And it's something that has has had tremendous effect in our in our national uh, political discussion. And you know, th- th- how do how do you deal with people that change language? I don't know. I mean, h- how do you argue with somebody who says, for example, that "monkey up" is not a phrase that it's, that it's inherently racist because it's not a phrase? That is a that is a lie. That is just not true. It's it's objectively not true. Uh, but how do you argue with somebody when they reject truth that that is at their fingertips, by the way? It'd be very easy to find out. Uh, you know, I I have a problem. And, and look, I'll be honest with you. It comes up even on my show where people will on my uh, TV show where uh, where, you know, somebody will say, uh, you know, undocumented immigrant and they'll want me to say undocumented immigrant. And I'm just no undocumented immigrant is not a th- that, that does not exist. This is this is conjured up. There's a made up phrase. If we're Mm -hmm. talking about somebody who's in violation of U.S. law in this country when it comes to immigration, they're an illegal alien. Now, that is the term. And the reason I won't call them an an undocumented immigrant is that it's specifically designed as a term to make it seem like it's just a question of getting them the documents that they need. And then everything is okay, And they're just like other immigrants. But that's not what's happening.
4: No, they're described in the law as illegal aliens.
0: Yes, uh, and the, and so that's that's why I you know but look they do they do this too with with, uh, with with abortion with any number of things where they they play all these games with language so that we can't really get to the truth of the matter and and you know George you, your question about how do we deal with these neo Marxists well, one we have to fight on these issues and not not concede I'm going to talk about uh, and George thanks for calling in Shields High. I'm going to talk about the rapid onset gender dysphoria issue in the third hour today of the show I really hope you stay around for that folks because i've read into this one in depth and it has to do with transgender rights which is considered very much in the vanguard of progressive ideology right now i mean they are really set on the whole transgender rights crusade or jihad because i want to be inclusive right could be for anybody um but they're really set on this and you know they they are fanatical i mean that's what you have to understand they are actually fanatical on that issue and I haven't. I, I want to describe to you uh, why they're so upset and and what it is that bothers them so much about transgender uh, transgender rights, or, or or this issue that affects transgender rights. I should say. Um, but I uh, wanted to. Hey, hey, Felix, Felix in Pennsylvania. We haven't heard from you in a while, buddy. What's up? Hey, Buck! Can you can you Felix. give
4: me one
0: second? Can you give me one? Uh, second, I guess. Seven, I mean, it's seven. just okay. I just, look a just you, me, and a, and a, and a mid-sized U.S. city worth of our friends listening to this. So, uh, sure, Felix, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, can, okay, anyway, we can take sh- a minute from sh- you.
4: Wow, what a sham.
0: This whole thing. Yeah, I guess so, man. You're going to have to give right. us some thoughts here. We're going to have to move on. we got every line lit.
4: I, I got a suggestion for President Trump. He needs to tweet out that Webster's def, you know uh, dictionary definition on uh, monkey up. And that that's the way to deal I with it. I think he should. And, I think I think it would be a good way cool. to deal with it
0: because I, I think that also awesome. Hello Yeah, we're all listening, buddy. Okay, Felix, we gotta go. I, I feel Felix, you know we love you, buddy, but a little too much uh I don't know if he was trying to get the satellite uplink going there or his comms were his comms were rough. We can't have rough comms here on the show. Bill in Mississippi. Hello, sir.
1: Hey, I just wanted to say, hey, I'm here. You here? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say the only uh, Antifa people I've seen are some Mad Max, emo, wannabes, basement dwellers. But the reason why I called is I'm over 50 years old, and anybody that's ever listened or had a job or anything, when something wrong happens, you you always hear somebody say, ah, somebody threw a monkey wrench in it and messed it up. So that's a phrase that I've lived with all of my life is that somebody throwing a monkey wrench into something to mess it up. And that's all DeSantos was doing was using a phrase that all of us have used our entire life.
0: Yep. Uh, I, I, I am not backing down on this one at all. I totally agree with you, Bill. There is no place whatsoever for people to, to, what they're doing is they're lying. They're lying about what they think he said because it's on tape, we can all hear it, and we all know what was going on. And it's just, you know, you think about how much damage could be done. If people like you and me, Bill, listen to the mainstream media and listen to the analysis on on MSNBC, you know, think about the damage that will be done to, to DeSantis and his family and his reputation. It's it's really Absolutely. scandalous what they've done. I mean, it's really, it's, it's beneath contempt to call somebody a racist when you know they're not a racist just because you want to ruin them, and that is what the left is doing. That's what they're that's the, their approach here. I think it's...
1: Yeah, and the thing that makes it so bad is every one of them know, and they've said it too uh, over their life, is, you know, somebody threw a monkey wrench into something and messed it up. You know, so, I mean, it's not like they don't know that. They just won't.
0: Yeah, I know. They're, uh, they're, 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 they're playing dumb on this one right now because it serves their purposes. Bill, I appreciate you calling it from Mississippi. Shields high. You know, eh, the Democrats, 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 can't trust them, can't trust them. You know, they're always always playing fast and loose uh, with with the truth. By the way, we are going to talk uh, a little more in the uh, in the next hour for sure about uh, the uh, Trump Mexico trade deal that, that they were saying was not only was the deal not going to happen, they were saying the deal was bad and that we were heading for a trade war. Now it looks like the deal is happening and everybody thinks it's a good deal and we have Trump to thank for it. When does when does the president get credit for this stuff? I know that I'm supposed to sit around and weep about what my imaginary eight-year-old daughter thinks about Trump's comments on Hillary. I know that that's what they want me to do. Oh my gosh, Trump and Hillary. Uh, but no, I just look at what's happening to the country. I look around and I see so much and I hear about so much prosperity and... You know, I, I visited uh, one of our one of our sponsors actually here on radio. I, I visited one of our sponsors recently. And, you know, they've gone from a couple of hundred employees to over a thousand employees in just the last, you know, 18 months or so. Uh, and, you know, I see these things and, and I know that you're t- trying to take a snapshot of what's happening to 320 million people across the country. But, you know, I remember what it was like during the Obama administration when we were being told that America was going to have pretty much uh, lackluster growth and our best years were behind us and, you know, we just need to find a better way to distribute, redistribute the wealth that the country already had, that's gone away. Doesn't that feel better for everybody? Else? Don't you feel like... I feel like I've got more of a shot. And I'm in a brutal business, by the way, but I really do. And I feel like, uh, I feel like there's a better chance right now because of the approach the government's taking. And really what I mean is... It's less likely that the government's going to to get in my way. And that's enough. That's helpful. Uh, It's just such a change in Tonya. They were writing they were writing editorials about, uh, you know, in the in the latter part of the Obama administration about how, you know, it's not Obama's fault. The economy is not so great. And, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. And now we're finding out what was it today? They actually had to revise upward GDP growth. The last I think it's from four point one to four point two, even better it was great, but it's even greater now. You know, we went from like a, you know, we went from getting an A to getting an A plus. And some are thinking that when it comes to economic growth in 2019, we could be getting an A plus plus. And I will, I will tell some of you. I don't know if it's still in our archives. I should find it. You know, late last year, I was, I did a whole show where I said, "Guys, I'm telling you, 2018 is going to be great. The economy is going to be booming. Don't listen to the naysayers." You know, the stock market got so hot last December, and everyone, you know, with cryptocurrency and everything else. I said, no, Trump, he gets it. He doesn't have these ideological hang-ups about how you didn't build that or, you know, it's not, you know, uh, America's not as great as we think it is. And we really need to do more for other countries. And climate change is a big national security and economic issue we have to address. I mean, all those are ideological impediments to national success. We don't have them anymore because we got a different guy at the top and different people around him that are executing on an agenda. All right, I know, I know. More on that in the second hour. i got to finish up on this notion, though, of, uh, of violence if Trump were to, or if the Republicans were to win, because uh, the, the left is trying to make a lot of this, and uh, I've got, I have definitely some analysis to share with you on that. I think I'm going to hold off on some of the Bruce Orr, and the latest on the Trump Tower and the collusion and all this other nonsense until tomorrow, because my colleague John Solomon at the Hills just broke a big piece on it. But I want to I have John probably join us on that one, because I want to get into the details with him, because he's the one who broke the story. So we'll get into that probably tomorrow. we, we got a lot more coming, though, team. Um, and like I said, that third hour, you really, if you find the whole transgender rights thing interesting, uh, you really got to stay with me to the, the third hour today of the show. So, uh, we'll be right quite a, uh, a snub here, folks. Uh, Sarah Palin uh, apparently not just. Not invited to, pardon the double negative. There not, but she. It wasn't just not invited to McCain's funeral. Uh, Breitbart, and this is confirming a People magazine report, saying that she was told through an intermediary to stay away from the ceremony. So it's not even like you weren't invited to the party. It's you're not invited and don't show up to the party. In this case, obviously it's a funeral, not a party. But you know what I mean. I mean this is this is the invite was not lost in the mail. This is, don't show up. Don't show up. Um, this is, uh, wow, you know, what a, what a slap in the, uh, what a slap in the face. I'm, I'm actually a little, I, I guess there was a lot of bad blood there for a long time, but anyway, you know, thoughts and prayers to uh, McCain and his family. And, you know, I know it's a tough time for Megan. I saw the, um, uh, I saw the video today of her and, you know, look, she lost her dad. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine a uh, very, very difficult thing. Um, but, there, you know, the politics around this, folks, there's still a lot of people reporting on it and uh, you're going to see more of this and with the whole Palin situation, wow. Uh, but I, I did want to finish up on this. Trump warns of, uh, of violence um, if Republicans lose the fall elections. You know, the left is saying this as though Trump is somehow instigating or he's the bad guy here. Uh, and what they really mean is Trump is pointing out that the violence comes from Antifa, right? Trump is, is pointing out that they will freak out if they lose the election. They will, you know, lose their minds even more so. I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I don't know what that looks like. But also warns of violence if Republicans lose the fall, ele- lose the fall elections. So if they lose there will be violence. If they win, there will be violence. That's not as contradictory as some people think because the violence comes from the left. And if they feel like they're ascendant and they're in power, then they'll be... You know, then, then you'll have Antifa all fired up and everything goes. If they lose, they'll lose their minds even more. This is the, uh, the equivalent, that sort of Trumpian equivalent of what I used, to, I used to joke around when I was at the University of uh, Massachusetts Amherst. I'd go visit. You know, I was down the street at Amherst College. And when... Uh, the Patriots would win, some people would riot and light trash cans on fire and flip over cars if it was a really big game. And when the Patriots would lose, some people would riot and flip over cars and uh, act like maniacs. And you might say to yourself, well, well that's just because that's what they want them to do. They, they are too emotionally invested in this. They need to calm down and they are going to act poorly. That is like Antifa. If the Democrats win, there will, in fact, be, uh, you know, there will, in fact, be. Antifa movements that feel like they are, you know, that this is a moment where they should make a statement and they're going to want to push even more and push even harder. And, all this. and if they lose, oh, my gosh, then, then they're really then they're really going to think that the dark night of fascism has arrived at this country. And uh, we, you know, and, and I worry that. Some of them start to take the rhetoric seriously and and then things because what we've seen so far, yes, there's violence, there's destruction from Antifa. But, you know, it it hasn't yet crossed over that threshold of of all out riots or, you know, Antifa hasn't yet uh, burned down whole neighborhoods. But we did see that under the Obama administration with Black Lives Matter. Remember, neighborhoods were burned down, folks. You know, I'm here in Washington, D.C., where it's forgotten now to most residents, but there were massive riots uh, after the assassination of Martin Luther King uh, Jr., and a whole a whole section of a neighborhood got burned down. So it's not that far back in our history that those kind of things have have happened, and I I do think that it's worth noting that there was no realistic expectation that no matter what happens on the Republican side, there, there's not going to be right wing riots in the streets. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but with Ant- with Antifa. There are going to be riots, I think, no matter what. I, I just couldn't tell you right now which one. I, I think it'll be bigger if they lose, but there will still be pretty substantial destruction and and really, you know, abhorrent activity from the left, even if even if they win the, the house, because they'll feel like that's a validation of their crazy anti fascist or whatever they call it beliefs. Uh, so it's heads you win, tails you lose situation. Or heads you win. Oh, gosh, Buck, you know, can't. Fool me once, can't get can't get fooled again. I'm trying to do this. Heads you lose, tails they win. There you go. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, we we will discuss Google and whether it is biased. Trump called them out for it. I've got that coming up for you. Also the Mexico U.S. and Canada trade deal, and then third hour rapid onset gender dysphoria. That's coming up, folks. I'm really into home security. It's essential wherever you are across the country, whether you're in a city or out in the countryside by yourself. That's why I'm such a fan of Simply Safe Home Security. I know I talk to you about them on the show regularly. It's because they're an incredible company, folks. I got some news for you. They're worth over a billion dollars now. With a Simply Safe system, you get protection against intruders, fires working even during power outages or down Wi-Fi. So if somebody comes in, realizes you have a Simply Safe system and tries to break it, it'll keep working even if they smash your keypad. Okay, the system is so easy to use. Even I can use it. I'm not so good with technology. I'm telling you, this is the system for you. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Just visit simplysafe.com/buck. That's simplysafe.com/buck. Protect your home today with again simplysafe.com/buck. $14.99 a month for full monitoring, folks. Check it out for yourself. Simplysafe.com/buck.
4: Yeah, I think
1: Google is uh, really taking advantage of a lot of people, and I think that's a very serious thing, and it's a very serious charge. I think what Google and what others are doing, if you look at what's going on at Twitter, if you look at what's going on in Facebook, uh, they better be careful because you can't do that to people. You can't do it. We have tremendous, we have literally thousands and thousands of complaints coming in, and you just can't do that. So I think that Google and Twitter and Facebook... They're really treading on very, very troubled territory, and they have to be careful. It's not fair to large portions of the population.
0: The president still uh, still staying, staying on message here about these social media giants and the way that they are affecting uh, discourse in this country. Folks, uh, it's, this is the single most important issue that people don't get fired up about right now. I, I mean, well, some people do. But you know, this should be considered a much a much bigger thing uh, in the minds of a lot of folks, in my opinion, than it is, uh, because this they they can control the way we discuss political issues. They can control the way that information is shared and they can do it without having, uh, you know, transparency. They can do it without us even knowing what's going on. Right. At least when they used to have the the full mainstream media. At their disposal, at least when that was the case, it was clear who was saying what. And it was obvious that they were you know, presenting one side of the story. Um, you know, here's the and by the way, you know, Eric Weinstein, who's one of these liberal professors that has realized that the liberal left has lost their minds. Um, he he did an experiment today to show that because here's what happens. They you know, Facebook gets caught and says, oh, no, we're not doing that. And then it turns out they are twitter gets caught and says oh no we're not doing that and then they get and then they say okay we are uh and and that's because people push them on this here's uh eric weinstein who is this this uh managing director at at uh oh i'm sorry managing director at teal capital i'm I'm wrong about um about his background i thought he was i was confusing him with a different with a professor um but he's at a teal capital he says from gun control to mind control tried locating non-gun products on Google yesterday with guns in the name. Glue guns, gone. Pistol annies, nope. Soldering guns, gone. Shotgun microphones, forget about it. Poof, with the flick of a switch. Uh, he, he, folks, he shared all this on, I mean, this went viral. He shared all this on Google. Explain to me how their algorithm is not making a political statement, how Google's algorithm is not changing what you see, folks, when you look for an issue that you care about, when you look to buy something, when you look to be connected with something or someone on the Internet, and you use search thinking that it's just going to give you the best, the most efficient, the most accurate. Explain to me how it is that when this guy, and he has all the screenshots, Eric Weinstein, at at Teal Capital, very serious, venture capital fund in Silicon Valley. Okay, This guy is just saying, look, this is crazy. He did a search for glue gun uh, on Google Shopping and nothing shows up. He does a, sh- uh, a a search for squirt gun on Google Shopping and nothing comes up. I, I need someone to explain to me how that can happen. And, and there's so many other instances of this, folks, where, you know, the, there's something is up. And to tell me that the algorithm—no, I'm sorry—that's that's not what's—I I refuse to accept their idiotic explanations for this. These folks, the social media giants, are very smart, uh, and, the, and the people running them are very intelligent. Okay, Let, let's not let's not get this twisted. They know what they're doing. They understand the power they have. They have almost unlimited funds and resources, and we're just beginning to come to grips with the fact, I think, as a country, that these social media companies are as liberal as the faculty lounge at Brown University. I mean, they are they are liberal propagandists. And the only reason that they're not being open and honest about this is because they don't want to lose market share. They want to maintain their power and all the wealth and all the money that comes with all this. Uh, but, you know, this is... This is uh, becoming something that they can't hide from anymore. They will not be able to keep, t- keep claiming nothing goes on here. I mean, this is, you know, I, I-, I shared on the weekend uh, this on Twitter because Twitter said that death threats against Dana Lash's children did not violate the platform's policies last week. I told you about that, right? Well, this is what I said in response to. It. When a social media company makes the wrong decision, it's a mistake. When it keeps making the wrong decision, it's a policy. When it won't stop making the wrong decision, it's politics. And that's where we are now. They they, they get caught, and we see that, you know, sure enough, they they are doing the thing that they claim to not be doing. They get caught doing it, and then they get caught doing it multiple times, so it's not, you know, aberrant, it's not a one-off. And then they say, well... You know, it's where we're not really doing it or we're going to fix it. And so then they let us know they're not really going to stop doing it. It's because they want to do it. They just don't want to be caught. They don't want to have to deal with the consequences of it. Uh, You know, this this is not going to get better anytime soon. This is going to keep getting worse and worse. Uh, And the denial that Google has, you know, Google denying... um, that they have any politics whatsoever. I mean, today on Google Maps, you may have seen this: the Rayburn uh, building was, I think, it was is it Rayburn? No, no, wait. I'm getting my bill, I'm getting my congressional buildings. No, it wasn't Rayburn. I'm forgetting which one it was now. But whatever. One, one of the 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 Senate building that they say they're gonna rename for um, you know rename for McCain which has now become this this issue that I I don't think, uh, you know, I I don't think it's going to the Russell building, not Rayburn. Thank you. Sorry. The Russell building. Pardon me, folks. Uh, The Russell building on Google Maps today was renamed in favor of John McCain. They already did it and then they changed it back. Uh, you know, Google on different days will have, you know, all their search stuff will be rainbow for like gay pride month or all. And they're making statements and, and they're making decisions all the time, just like news organizations are. And they they can do that. They are private companies, but they should at least be honest about it. And then there's this other point that I don't think enough people understand or hear about. And then is that OK? Private company? Yes. But the FCC regulates private companies. Sinclair was not able to merge with Tribune because of the FCC folks which was just infringing upon speech and free association and you know it was a corporate merger that wouldn't get approved because of some BS about reach into local communities that the FCC regulates based on the old cable model I mean it's crazy So don't think that this is as simple and straightforward as just oh well they're a private companies so they can do whatever they want if they are Going to be the massive arbiters of what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what we're buying that they are, then they will be subject to regulation. You'll notice the Democrats are a little quiet on regulation of this stuff. Because they don't want to have regulations go into place when there's a Republican administration and a Republican House and Senate. Usually they love regulation. Usually they think it's fantastic to regulate all kinds of things. I think this, I think it's a very, it's very important. Look, Google is there's stuff going on at Google. There's no question in my mind. Search is an immensely powerful thing to have control over and to th- to be able to just say, oh, it's just the algorithm. You know, we have no say in this or it's not, there's nothing we can do to change this. That's very, very convenient, my friends. Uh, it's very convenient and, and it's not true. And Trump is calling them out. And that's why there's, there's some nervousness in some quarters here because I think there's a recognition that uh, the... The the game is changing here. This is not going to be able to continue on. And these social media companies, they're going to feel in their wallets eventually if they don't, you know, start being an actual neutral pathways to speech and, and search and all the rest of it. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we will discuss a, a bit of uh, CNN's need to backpedal on something that they won't backpedal on. And then also rapid-onset gender dysphoria, a fascinating concept. I think you'll probably hear about it here for the first time, but you'll be really interested, I know I was, to read about it. Uh, and that's all coming up. Hiring is challenging, folks, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com. Folks, I have colleagues at the Hill that we got through ZipRecruiter. I have used this interface. I know how simple it is, how effective it is. If you want to hire somebody for any job, but particularly if you got a job that involves any kind of a skilled labor, or you need somebody you know quickly who's the best at whatever it is, you want to go to ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com/slash/buck. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck, folks. That's what you want. I'm telling you, you can try it for free. That's right, free at this exclusive web address. Hire for whatever your job needs are at ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You're going to get great candidates so quickly and fill that job with the best possible person at ZipRecruiter.
1: I'm going to tell our NAFTA partners that I intend to immediately renegotiate the terms of that agreement to get a better deal by a lot, not just a little, by a lot for our workers. A Trump administration will end that war by getting a fair deal for the American people and the American worker. The era of economic surrender will finally be over.
2: I think it's a very growthy trade deal. This thing does a lot. It keeps the integrated supply chain going in North America. That is huge for business confidence. Um, it opens up a lot of markets. It protects uh, intellectual property. It actually extends some patents and copyrights for new drugs. All this is very helpful. It protects workers. Okay. It has a higher domestic or North American content. That's a good thing because you know we don't really want China to uh, to come on and encroach. They won't let us in their place. So we're going to have to protect our own workers. It shows you, two sides with goodwill can sit down and work out what is essentially a free trade deal, free trade, fair trade, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. get it going. Nobody thought we could do it.
0: You know, it wasn't that amazing? That was Trump on the campaign trail saying what he was going to do. That was then, and this is now. Larry Kudlow saying, yeah, look, we got this deal going. Looks like it's going through. It's great. It's pro-growth, protects us, but fair to them, and it's just going to be good all around. But wait a second, I thought Trump was a buffoon who couldn't do anything on the economy. I thought Trump didn't know anything. Oh wow. Following through on yet yet another promise here. And this US Mexico trade deal is looking good. You know, I had a union uh, rep who was very union like on my uh, on my TV show today and and I'm we I got to talk he was a represents a steel workers or iron workers or uh, iron workers, I think. And uh, he was saying, yeah, you know, this we got to see what's in the fine print, but it's actually a pretty good deal. So I'm like, oh, okay. So now we get even union people are saying it's a pretty good deal. Free trade people are saying it's a pretty good deal. Maybe it is just a pretty good deal. And, you know, at, at some point I think it's fair to take stock of what the media was saying was going to happen versus what has happened. Trump said he was going to get a great deal. Here we are now talking about this deal. It could be really, really good. What were they saying about this, though? Um, they were they were claiming that well here here's what they were originally saying play clip four.
4: We're in the nascent stages of a full-scale trade war, and the president simply seems to want to escalate. It's not just my state that
0: is
2: involved here, it's our nation. It has significant consequences for us here at home, not only just economically, but politically. If you alienate Mexico over the wall
4: and, and over NAFTA, what you end up doing is electing this summer a much more nationalistic, much more radical Mexican president who will not cooperate.
0: Well, that's what they were saying. Now, where are we? Oh, well, why don't we hear from... Uh, why don't we hear from the Mexican government, actually? Because, you know, you're hearing there, oh, my God, it's going to be so bad. Trump can't... You know, Trump, we're in a trade war, and Mexico is going to respond with all kinds of punitive... First of all, what what tariffs... I mean, is Mexico really going to get in a trade war with us? I, I don't think so, right? Uh, but what does the Mexican government think of this? Because I'm sure that there's some Democrats who... In their usual, whatever Trump is doing is bad, whatever Trump is for, I'm against mindset would say, well, you know, the Mexican government's not they're not getting as good a deal here or something. Well, here's what the secretary of foreign affairs for for Mexico says, play five.
1: It's really significant. I think it's a breakthrough. And it shows that uh, two countries can actually
0: get together and, and, and do a good deal, a good deal for both of them. That is reciprocal. That is fair and we allow growth on both sides. It's good for Mexican workers. It's good for the American worker.
4: I think this is a brilliant deal.
0: Uh, okay. So can someone tell me where, where Trump has been wrong here? C- can somebody tell me uh, how, you know, how this is the disaster? Oh, it's a trade war, and look what Trump is doing. And um, meanwhile, you know, we see this, and this is looking good all around. For I mean, isn't it just amazing when you... At what point do we start to say, it's it's? it must be like the media doesn't really believe what they're saying or, or they just don't mind being wrong all the time. They are wrong all the time on this stuff. They keep being wrong when it comes to Trump. This is why, you know, even when I'm not even sure... And hey, those of you listening to the show know, early on with the whole trade thing, I was saying, guys, Trump has earned the right, in my mind, to do this his way. He's beaten the... He's beaten the conventional wisdom so many times. Am I really going to be the one to sit here and say, well, you know, free trade, free trade. He has single handedly changed our national conversation about trade, broken us out of the constraints of whatever the trade deals were that we had were the best deals. It's just it makes no sense when you approach it just as a reasonable person. But the echo chamber effect was so strong. Trump has broken out of that and now he's already getting results. And even though he is showing results, they're still wrong all the time. Here's a on, on CNN. This was just in the last in the last few days. Uh, here, here's what. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, this is a Washington Post reporter on CNN. Play clip six.
1: Trump really needs a win, right? He needs a win before the midterms. He wants to be able to say that he has renegotiated NAFTA. In that case, he needs Canada on board. You have this very short window to get Canada on board. Otherwise, the whole deal could fall apart on the Mexico side. We love Canada, and we want to have Canada
0: as part of the deal. But in case that for whatever reason Canada is not able to join, we'll, we'll still have a deal with the U.S., and we'll move on. So that was what they were saying. You know, okay, and to be fair, not a full-scale prediction that Canada wouldn't be a part of this, but you know, very, very concerned. And Trump needs a win. Here's a headline from just a couple hours ago, folks: Canada rejoins NAFTA talks as U.S. autos tariff details emerge. You know, this uh, is—it's almost like Trump's approach to all this stuff is working, and he's right, and these naysayers are are wrong. And the haters in the media, that's right, the haters in the media, they are just, they get angrier as they go along because Trump keeps showing that he understands this stuff better than they do, and he's in a better place uh, on this one. Oh, by the way, this is, over at MSNBC, here's what they're saying about the deal. Play seven.
4: I think it's a great big PR stunt This isn't uh, MAGA, okay This isn't going to do a lot for the American economy or workers In fact, NAFTA was never a problem The whole thing is like a phony issue
5: He's just making everything up As he goes along There is no, there is no deal He says he can get Canada To step in and Do a deal in a day No, no He can't He's come up with a name for a deal there's only one problem he's got
1: no deal
0: how wrong can one guy be in one day i mean joe scarborough seems like he's trying to hit the the guinness book of world records and, and with scarborough this is just all about ego by the way you know he 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 feels snubbed by trump and now he's trying to tell everybody how terrible trump is all the time and act like he's so much smarter than trump when he's just making a buffoon of himself. I mean, that the U.S.-Mexico deal is a PR stunt? That's just idiotic. And and trade, real trade experts say that we, no matter what, need to update NAFTA. It's not a PR stunt. So you've got idiots going on TV at MSNBC saying stupid stuff. you got Joe Scarborough there, who just looks, you know, all, all the time, it's the same thing with him. It looks like Trump is, you know, putting the proverbial turd in the punch bowl in front of him, and... Meanwhile, the country's actually getting getting a great deal out of this and things are going really well. And it's because of Trump.
4: I think um, the reporting of this story got mixed up. And in the course of a criminal investigation, we were not the source of the story.
3: I find it to be, and obviously this is a high bar, one of the most humiliating and scandalous moments in the entire media behavior of the Trump Russia saga. You know, I've been on your show to talk about a lot of these humiliating moments, and this might be one of the worst ones yet. Um, Keep in mind that in addition to all the facts that you just said, what's so crucial about this is that after Lanny Davis went on CNN with Anderson Cooper, and to Anderson Cooper's shock, admitted that everything CNN had been breathlessly hyping is true was actually false, namely that Michael Cohen was there when Trump learned about the Trump Tower meeting in advance. The Washington Post and the New York Post listened to that and they said, wait a minute, we independently confirm CNN stories based on an anonymous source, and our anonymous source was Lanny Davis, who's now saying the whole thing is false. So they did what they had to do and what they sh- what they should have done, which is they retracted the story. They outed their own source. They said our anonymous source is Lanny Davis, and we now retract it because he says it's false. CNN couldn't do that because they lied to the entire world. They said, as you just played, that they tried to get a hold of Lanny Davis and he refused to comment when, in fact, of course, Lanny Davis was also their source. And they don't want to admit that they lied to the world. So they're, they can't retract the story um, and they can't admit they lied. So they're just continuing to stick to what everybody knows of a lie. But not many people care because people think, a lot of people anyway, that it was done for the right political agenda.
0: <laughs> I got to tell you, that was Glenn Greenwald. He was on Fox there on Tucker Show. He's totally right, folks. Uh, this, this debacle at CNN is delicious. You know, it's not an apple, it's a banana, or it's not a banana, it's an apple. Facts first, the most trusted name in news, all that stuff. CNN so full of crap. First of all, they, they, you know, they, they always talk about their reporting, and, and they're really just often printing gossip about Trump from whomever they can get it from. And, and they don't care if it's true if it's plausible it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter they're really just looking for a way to hit Trump and, and any excuse that they can get to hit Trump they are uh, they are happy with and even if it means that they have to eventually walk it back or or admit that it was you know total and, and utter nonsense they, they just they just don't care but in this case it's so, over the line, I mean, they have gone so beyond the bounds of of what a news organization should be you know, willing to do here or, or, you know, how it should correct itself, how it should police itself. I mean, folks, they've lost they have lost it over there. They really have. They have lost their minds. I mean, so so it, just so I can give you the details. You're probably like, Buck, what the heck are you talking about? Right. Because I, I love this stuff. I love CNN. Oh, We're so serious. Yeah, right. Uh, here's what happened. So there's this big story from Jim Sciutto, former Obama administration appointee Jim Sciutto. You never hear him... You know, maybe we should just start calling it liberal CNN. You know, they used to introduce me on CNN's air as, you know, conservative political pundit. And then they would say, and political analyst Van Jones. Well, why am I conservative political pundit, but he's just a political analyst? Someone explain that to me. I mean, I actually spent real time working for the government. He's some guy who got famous for getting fired from the White House, right? I mean, well, what exactly makes that determination. You know, we should just start saying liberal CNN, liberal ABC, you know, liberal MSNBC. They say conservative Fox News. So why not? But but liberal CNN with uh, Jim Shudo, uh, Bernstein, Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein fame. Man, that guy's been dining out on that whole thing for a long time. Uh, and one other journalist, I forget who over there, big journo, three guys on the byline for this story that says that Michael Cohen, according to sources... Michael Cohen, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Michael Cohen knew that Trump was, uh, knew about the meeting at Trump Tower before it happened. So Cohen, Trump's lawyer, says Trump knew about the Russia meeting at Trump Tower with Veselnitskaya before it happened. Would this, by the way, be criminal or No, I mean, it, it just, but it feeds into the, oh my gosh, collusion and Russia frenzy and all that stuff. CNN cited multiple sources problem with that is that Cohen had said to Congress under oath that he did not know that Trump did not know in advance of the meeting so now if that is in fact true if CNN's story is true Cohen is in perjury jeopardy so Lanny Davis who is Cohen's lawyer goes out and says oh well hold on a second um you know uh, th- this is not true this is inaccurate and then the Washington Post comes out and says, "Okay, well, we ran that story too and Lanny Davis was our was our source for it." So Lanny Davis was the source for the Washington Post version of the Trump knew about the rush about the Trump Tower meeting, Donald Trump senior knew before it happened. The Post says, "Okay, Lanny Davis was our source." If he's saying that's not true, then it's not true. CNN, however, Refuses to or the post retracted their story. CNN refuses to retract their story, claiming multiple sources. And they say that, uh, you know, that their critics don't know the full extent of their sourcing, and so they won't change anything, they won't walk it back. And then on top of it, you look at this, you say, Hold on a second, who's gonna know more about this? Who's gonna know more about Michael Cohen's position on this than Michael Cohen's lawyer, folks? Who's going to know more? The answer is nobody's going to know more. So is, it, is CNN's story even believable? No, it's not believable now that that Cohen says that Trump or Cohen's going to testify to the special counsel. That's what got people really excited that Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting before it happened. Right? It's just not it's not credible as a story. But then on the sourcing issue, here is where CNN got itself into a lot of trouble. Uh, and this is why they won't back out of it. They didn't just say that they uh, had multiple sources. They said multiple sources for the story and Lanny and and they asked Lanny Davis for a comment and he didn't have one. They were intentionally trying to throw people off the scent of their source, who clearly is Lanny Davis, at least one of their sources. right? I mean, clearly it's Lanny Davis. (laughs) Okay, to anybody who's being serious about this. Uh, But they were dishonest. Because they wanted to make it seem like they were checking all the boxes, so that they asked Cohen's lawyer, but they also wanted to cover for the fact that the source was the lawyer. This is, you know, this is like padding a bibliography when you're writing a paper. You can't do this. It's unethical. It's wrong. And CNN did it, and they're not going to walk it back because they know that in the current media climate, it would create an even bigger feeding frenzy for them to walk it back. I think. And the reason for that is this isn't this goes into this big bin of this was not a good faith error. All right, this is not a good faith error. But we we have the initial here. Play play uh play clip twelve. This is the initial reporting they did on it.
3: Play it. The sources with knowledge tell myself and Carl that Michael Cohen claims that then candidate Donald Trump knew in advance about the June 2016 meeting in Trump Tower in which Russians were expected to offer his campaign dirt on Hillary Clinton. Crucially, these sources tell us that Cohen is willing to make that assertion to the special counsel Robert Mueller.
4: It's very, very significant because the president has denied any foreknowledge uh, of this event, and this meeting goes to the question of intent to collude.
3: You've been saying for a year, That we need to follow the money, follow the lies, and figure out this cover-up. So how did you do it in this case? Talk us about how you got this reporting.
4: (laughs) Well, I talked to sources. Cohen was saying that Donald Trump, the candidate for president of the United States at the time, had authorized the go-ahead for that meeting to take place with his son.
0: All wrong. And... And, it, and if not outright lies about the source is certainly dishonest, certainly uh, trying to play fast and loose with the truth. And let me just say this, folks, you know, this is, you know, see if CNN wants to be the opposition to Trump, that's fine. They have a First Amendment right to be the opposition to Trump. But we all have a First Amendment right as well to say that they're being dishonest about it, that they're lying, that they are often guilty of fake news, And and this goes into the theory that I've told you for a long time, which is that when you have every wrong media story that has to be retracted or corrected is damaging to one person and one political, uh, one political party. And never do they have to retract or correct a story that is favorable. We understand that there's more at work here than just making errors. This is agenda driven. And I don't even think that they necessarily get that. They're not upset about the mistakes they've made. If it's damaging enough in the short term to Trump and feeds enough of the anti-Trump frenzy, I think they are, they are fine with running fake news and then doing triage afterwards. They'd rather run with the false story that's damaging day one and then day seven. Because remember, they don't correct it right away. They slow walk it. They, and then day seven, they'll issue some, and not retraction, but a correction. Oh, yeah, so the basic premise of that whole story wasn't correct, but, you know, we stand by the rest of it. This is how, this is how they play the game over there, and this is why all of the chin-wagging and all the pompous BS from the, the biggest names at CNN, people are just rejecting it, you know, and, and anyone who's being honest with themselves, you know, if, if you want that, if you want hashtag resistance, you should turn on MSNBC because at least you know what you're getting. With CNN, they are living in a fantasy land, And that this story is still out there and they think that they can get away with this, oh, yeah, multiple sources stuff is preposterous, utterly and completely preposterous. But, you know, this this is what you are dealing with. You know, the most trusted name in news. Yeah, right. All right, team, stay with me. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. We are going to talk about the rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is I think you're going to look, we're going to go deep into that discussion. You'll know more about it from listening to this show than I'd bet pretty much any other show in the country right now, because I really have done some research into it. Very big, uh, well, scandal on campus about this, but it affects the whole discussion about transgenderism and transgender rights and tells you a lot about the tyrannical left and how it does what it does. We'll be right back with that and more.
4: Also proved that the polls still are are pretty useless when it comes to some of this stuff, because none of the polls had him winning. Um, which just makes you think, okay, who knows what's actually going to happen when you, when you get to November?
3: Yeah, it's sort of what we saw in 2016, too. A lot of the pollsters scratching their heads trying to figure out the result after Why the fact. Andrew Gillum right. here, the Tallahassee mayor the, on the Democratic side, I read uh, this morning, he didn't lead in a single poll in the run-up to this. So uh, that tells you, you know, we're, we're sort of flying blind still, as political journalists trying out. to see what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
1: Florida, when people start talking about a blue wave, you ought to point out to them, Florida is likely to be a desert island for the Democrats with no wave at all, given these kind of outcomes. And by the way, in Arizona, President Trump was very gracious and supportive of Congresswoman McSally. She was the first woman to fly in combat and uh, has a remarkable record to win the center race there. And again, this so called blue wave is going to disappear in the sand. And I think you're going to see, if anything, uh, more of a red wave by the time we get to November than a blue wave.
0: You know, folks, you got a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of insights there uh, from. Uh, well, one was, that was from what CNBC's Becky Quick uh, talking about Florida. And then, of course, I mean, Newt, Newt G, Newt Gingrich uh, th- that for, for the, the pollsters out there. They got to get this one right, meaning they got to get the midterms right or else people are really going to start asking some some uh, some tough questions about what exactly is the utility of all this, all this polling. Um, Right now, according to uh, the average on Real Clear Politics, the battle for the House of Representatives in 2018, you got 199 Democrat versus uh, 193 GOP with 43 toss ups. That's what they've got listed here and then for the in the senate battle gop 48 dem 45 with seven toss-ups uh so so here's here's what i just want to say one is that is that you got to take polls with a grain of salt and that doesn't make you a flat earther And you know, a lot of people out there are still oh you know the pollsters are, you know. we saw what happened in 2016 I, I will never forget the new york times saying that hillary clinton had a 97% chance of winning the election on election day 97% chance folks if i told you you had a 97% chance of waking up tomorrow and feeling fine, and a 3% chance of dying in your sleep and not waking up. I think most of you would sleep okay. You know, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I think that you'd be like, "Well, that's not amazing to hear." But if I told you you're 50-50, you probably wouldn't sleep a wink, right? But 97% chance of waking up tomorrow. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna take those odds. You'll be okay. They thought 97 that Hillary was gonna win, as we know, and then the the odds changed overnight. It's the most amazing thing. Sometimes just for fun, whenever I'm having a bad day, I'm going to have producer Mike put on that uh, that montage again from election night where there's like, oh, my gosh, Trump is winning. It's just so fun. It's so fantastic. Uh, but then the, the what you saw here in Florida, and I do find this interesting uh, is because everyone looks at Florida as it, all, all races in Florida are very tight. Right? That's kind of the, the basics of it. You have. The Democrats can win. Republicans can win. It really depends on the candidate, the time and and the issues that are at hand. Uh, But, you know, I I think you're going to have Rick Scott beat incumbent Senator Nelson. That's my prediction on that one. I think Rick Scott's going to take it. And and I also think that uh, Ron DeSantis is going to going to win uh, the um, the governorship. You know, I I, I do think that that it's likely that DeSantis is going to come out, come out on top there. And you know, this is this is where we start to get into what happens if the Demo- What happens if the Democrats don't win? I mean, I know we've been discussing this all along, but I don't know if they can handle. You know, they might actually make good on their whole like I'm going to move to Canada. I mean, they some of them might flee. I don't know if they can handle two more years of Republicans in control. Even though things, not only are things good in this country, it's not like their life is so uh, you know, their life is in such disarray because of trump i mean that's all just that's all just their their perception by the way i I just got to tell you all uh tomorrow we're going to have a an interview on hill tv i believe we're going to air it tomorrow that i did with Alyssa milano that's right that Alyssa milano um of twitter and project runway fame uh she is an activist now mostly not even really an actor anymore and i'll just tell you this uh it was interesting to go to her mansion in her gated community uh, and I have to get through armed security at the gate and be on a list just to even get on the roadway to get within miles of her house. And then, of course, the gate at her house and the security that came up and met me there, or at least the personnel who met me there. Um, and and of course, she's very pro gun control. And I got to say, you should watch the interview because I thought I was too polite, which is a problem, which is a knock that some people have on me is that I, I am. I am too polite to people. It's just, you know, my parents raised me right. But in media, you kind of sometimes you got to be a little bit of a jerk and. I got to work on that a little bit. That's that's a note for me. She thought I was mean. She thought I was mean. She was complaining afterwards that I was mean to her. And I'm like, uh, mean to you? I, th- that was the biggest cream puff interview. I'm like ashamed of how friendly and, and, and kind I was. I mean, I asked her some questions that she had trouble with, obviously. But, you know, I was very nice. But uh, for all her millions of Twitter followers, she, she doesn't like it when somebody asks her a real question. So get ready for that tomorrow on Hill TV. You know, I was out on the left coast for a few days, and they got a lot of coffee shops out there. But you you know what they didn't have, my friends? Coffee that's all about freedom, America, and deliciousness. That's what you get with Black Rifle Coffee. Okay, this is my coffee company. This is my coffee brand. It is delicious. And when you go and check out their website, you'll see this is a company that's all about veterans patriotism and giving back to the veterans community and America. You will love these guys. I know them personally. The folks at Black Rifle Coffee are doing it right, top to bottom. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Do what I do. Join the coffee club. They'll send it to your front door every month. You'll have all the coffee ground up, whole bean or K-cup. Whatever you need, they've got. They've even got a decaf option for you now, folks. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Again, blackriflecoffeecom Buck for 15% off your order. If you want the best home security system on the market, one that you'll find intuitive, easy to use, unobtrusive in your home, right? It fits right in with whatever you got. It's not some big system, it doesn't require installation. You can do it yourself, folks. Simply safe is what you want, okay? They give you 24 7 monitoring for only $14.99 a month. CNET, PCMag, the Wire Cutter all have said Simply Safe is their top pick for home security. I have a Simply Safe system at home. Let me tell you that it gives me a little extra peace of mind knowing that whenever I close my door, I know that my windows, uh, my front door, and fire, uh, all kinds of possible concerns, leaks, burst pipes, intruders, all that covered because I've got Simply Safe. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns by going to SimplySafe.com/slash buck. That's simplysafe.com/buck again. One more time for the best system in the business: simplysafe.com/buck. What is rapid onset gender dysphoria? Team, if you don't know, that makes perfect. It's a a, a new concept, uh, and this is going to take us right into the heart of the war over what is now considered the culture war over transgender rights. You know, transgender rights are now civil rights. This is what they are telling us. This is what the left is, is pushing uh, culturally in every way it can, with TV shows and social media campaigns. And increasingly, we are being forced to use pronouns that do not correspond to sex. And as I've told you, that's wrong. I disagree with it. A he is not a she, and a she is not a he. And being told that I have to be a party to somebody else's is incorrect, self-identification or or even delusion is problematic in many ways, but I'm also not going to be a martyr. I'm not going to put myself in a position where uh, I could be sued or or even have, have professional action taken against me. So you know, I, at, at a certain level, you will concede to the mob, and we're getting very close to that on this transgender issue. But this is a big, a big story that's getting very little play because of what it really entails, and it has to do with not just the illiberalism of the left, which is now beyond any real debate. I mean, it's it's a reality. It's a thing. Uh, but, but also, and particularly on college campuses, and Brown University, which we're about to talk about, is among the worst. And I have a particular disdain for Brown. It has a long history of being... It, Brown was a social justice warrior factory before that was cool. You know, Brown was... The, has been the most left-wing, prominent university. People say it's elite because it's Ivy League. I got to tell you, I, I've I've never been particularly impressed with the product as in the students that come out of Brown. I know there's exceptions, you know, and I'm sure you got to, you know, somebody who's a friend of yours, who's a you know Rhodes Scholar, Navy SEAL, who went to Brown. I'm not saying everybody, but in general, I find Brown produces a lot of people who think they're much more impressive than they are. That's been my personal anecdotal experience. But the transgender fight, uh, or, or the fight for transgender rights that's being discussed, uh, received quite a uh, an unwelcome bit of science recently, uh, and it comes courtesy of a, a, a peer-reviewed article that came out at, at Brown University that had to do with this notion of rapid-onset gender dysphoria. Now, folks, I, I get really deep into the weeds here on this left-wing stuff so that I can explain to you, but, you know, this is... This is where it all happens. And, and the people that are making these decisions at, say, Brown University about a scientific paper, it is a scientific paper we're about to discuss, they're the same ones who want to tell you that you know, your 10 year old should be showering with the 10 year old of the opposite sex right next to him or her. And, you know, this is the, so, so it's important. This matters. It matters because the truth matters. It also matters because national level policy is affected by this thinking. Do not forget, any of you who have children, Remember that the Obama administration was threatening to pull federal funding from grammar schools, from primary schools uh, across the country, but particularly in South Carolina because of the battle going on there over this, unless they adhered to the new Department of Education transgender bathroom policy. So this affects you. You know, you can't just say, "Oh, well, this isn't my problem." No, this is going to be a problem for everybody, or this is going to be something you are you're going to be forced to submit. That's what they're going to say. You're going to be forced to submit to their lunacy here. Now, let me give you the what happened. All right, I mentioned Brown. Brown University uh, had a um, published right through its through one of its uh, through one of its graduate programs. A student there published in the journal Plus One uh, a case study on on, not a case study a, a scientific journal on rapid onset gender dysphoria and this is from the Brown University School of Public Health okay so they just published this and here's gender dysphoria so we understand the definitions gender dysphoria is when somebody has feelings that their biological sex does not match up with the identity of what they think their sex should be essentially I am physically female and think i'm actually a male. Now this and this leads to people used to call a gender identity disorder now it's called gender dysphoria. They've changed that don't forget that folks they changed the terminology as a way of skewing the debate and to make this a it's not a disorder, right? Remember the, the same way that it's you know it's not chain migration, it's family reunification on the immigration issue. And with transgender surgery, it's not Uh, It's not a sex change operation. It's a gender affirmation process. Oh, isn't that interesting how they've changed the emphasis? They've changed the way that we should think about it merely by changing the language itself. So on gender dysphoria, formerly gender identity disorder, but we've gotten rid of that now, and gender dysphoria, okay, fine, we'll use that term. Soon it'll be, you know, gender affirmation Uh, you know, gender affirmation conception or something. They'll have some other way of describing it. Uh, But rapid onset, that's what this study looked at. And rapid onset gender dysphoria is, based on this paper and the significant research that it draws upon, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of case studies, um, it says that essentially... Gender dysphoria may be a socially pressured and learned condition. Oh, my gosh. People don't want to hear this. What do you mean? This is going to bring them back to the days of, oh, well, you know, are you are you born same-sex attracted? Are you born gay or do you become bigger? Remember, that was a big debate for a long time. And now that that's gone away and everyone now, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but the predominant view is that, you know, you are born with a certain sexual preference. Uh, it, but, but think about this. With gender dysphoria, people are, be, are being led to believe that this is an innate, uh, it's affirmation now, right? It's you actually becoming who you are and that your brain is, the disconnect between the brain and the body here on gender, the brain wins, right? The brain knows what you really are. The fact that you have male or female genitalia is irrelevant, That's what you're being led to believe with gender dysphoria. Well, what happens when they look at this study is that, and this is of of teenagers with gender dysphoria. Here's something that won't shock any of you who just think about things and don't accept everything that the the mainstream media and the liberal left force feeds us. Kids, teenagers, who are same-sex attracted, who have other people in their lives who become gender dysphoric, meaning they believe that they are now, you know, that they are now part of the transgender community, those kids are more likely to themselves become uh, members of or, or want to be members of the transgender community. There is a copycat effect at work here and that there is a social pressure effect at work here, meaning that when you are, subjected to social media that prominently supports the notion of gender dysphoria guess what more teenagers start to say yeah i'm gender dysphoric too now look i know there's people would say oh buck maybe it's just awareness or they there's a lot of ways to break this down here's what the study actually says quote among the noteworthy patterns litman the researcher found in the survey data of parents reported their child had one or more friends become transgender identified at around the same time. 20% reported an increase in their child's social media use around the same time as experiencing gender dysphoria symptoms. And 45% reported both. So, I mean, almost half of the people who are, are teenagers that are claiming to have adopted gender dysphoria here or that they have gender dysphoria, a condition, develop the condition when somebody else they know has it, and develop the condition when they have a much greater usage of social media where transgender and transgender rights are a prominent topic of discussion. And it goes on. Quote, the pattern of clusters of teens in friend groups becoming transgender identified, uh, the, the group dynamics, dynamics of these friend groups, and the types of advice viewed online led to the hypothesis that friends and online sources could spread certain beliefs. Examples include the belief that nonspecific symptoms such as feeling uncomfortable in their own skins or feeling like they don't fit in, which could be part of a normal puberty or associated with trauma, should be perceived as gender dysphoria. Folks, if you can't hear it already, there are lib heads exploding all over the place on this one gender dysphoria transgenderism could be a trait that is or rather a, a condition that is socially imposed or socially advocated for is essentially learned via environment through social osmosis of sorts one becomes gender dysphoric we're not supp- that's not supposed to be what happens here it's supposed to be who you really are at your core right this is This is a medical condition. It should be respected. It's a civil rights issue. That's what we've been told. This study is implying that there's a great degree of peer pressure involved in this or peer imitation. She continues on. The belief that the only path to happiness is transition and the belief that anyone who disagrees with the teen is transphobic and should be cut out of their life. That's all part of it. Additionally, 62% of parents reported their teen or young adult had one or more diagnoses of a psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopmental disability before the onset of gender dysphoria. 48% reported that their child had experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to the onset of their gender dysphoria, including being bullied, sexually assaulted, or having their parents get divorced. This suggests that the drive to transition expressed by these teens and young adults could be a harmful coping mechanism like drugs, alcohol, or cutting. With harmful coping mechanisms, certain behaviors are used to avoid feeling negative emotions in the short term, but they do not solve the underlying problems, and they often cause additional problems. End quote. My friends, wow. This is a study based on real research, peer-reviewed, published in a journal, uh, that is challenging the whole notion of what makes somebody transgender. It's essentially saying that transgenderism is rooted in trauma and in many cases a psychiatric disorder. And those two things can also go hand in hand. And that it is increasingly the result of social pressure and imitation of peers, could be a coping mechanism, and is not in fact a, 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 a civil rights issue but is a psychiatric and social issue. Wow. This is, this is radioactive stuff on the left. They've been waging this campaign for a while for us to believe that that effectively, if you have any questions about transgenderism, if you wonder that maybe a teenager shouldn't take massive doses of hormones, irreparably damage his or her body for the future in ways that we can't even fathom right now. If you have any questions about that, you're basically morally the equivalent of a racist. You're a bigot. You're backwards thinking. Don't you see how important transgenderism is to the civil rights movement? Well, here's a study that suggests that transgenderism is something very different from the affirmation of one's core and inner self. It could be rooted in social pressure, in psychiatric problems, or in trauma. We'll continue this in just a moment. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes. Brace yourselves, folks, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. And, folks, I was out in uh, Los Angeles and, and I actually had a, a, uh, an Uber driver who's telling me about her situation of home title theft. It was, it was scary stuff. And it cost her, she said, thousands and thousands of dollars to try to get it fixed. It was a nightmare. You don't want to go through it. It can happen to you. All they need, all the bad guys need is Internet access. They'll take your information, replace your home's title uh, with an alias of their own and borrow every penny against it. You don't want to deal with it, folks. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's lock. Com. So we're continuing on with our discussion here of rapid onset gender dysphoria. I mean, this is this is a, a big story, folks, because they're going to do everything they can to suppress the truth here. Uh, they they don't want the science, never mind the science to be settled, they don't want the science to be pursued. Because the left has made such an investment in this notion of gender is fluid, and and you know, this is their this is their new civil rights struggle, the struggle for transgender rights. When you have evidence that's pointing to this as a, as in fact, a psychiatric disorder. And by the way, I don't say that in a disparaging fashion. All right. I think that mental health is every bit as important as physical health. I think mental health and physical health are effectively one and the same. But I believe that if somebody has a psychiatric disorder, a psychiatric problem, they should be medically assisted. They should not uh, expect there to be a societal movement to Uh, normalize and in fact celebrate what would be a disorder and for people who say well buck people used to say that about about, uh, homosexuality well well, first of all people used to say a lot of things and if we're going to play that game uh, then I'll also say that there are some people who believe that they should have a limb removed uh, that they uh, they just do not believe that they should have the legs that they do and they want them to be surgically removed. Should we? And they really believe this. This is a real disorder. Should we have doctors remove their legs? Should we do that? Uh, so um, I, I, ju- I just want to put us in the, in the proper context here. The, the Brown University, where this study was done, which is um, thinks of itself as on the forefront of, you know, transgenderism and gender rights issues and all the rest of it. And Brown is you go back and look at his record. I mean, this was the place where, you know, students, there was uh, people have been expelled for any any violation in the eyes of the the social justice gods. And, and you're toast at Brown. Uh, but but here's here's what they did. They uh, pulled down. I mean, this is the equivalent of book burning in a sense, folks. I mean, they, they digitally deleted uh, this journal entry in PLOS 1, P-L-O-S-1, about rapid onset gender dysphoria. And the dean of Brown University, just a few days ago, wrote the following. In light of questions raised about research design and data collection related to Lisa Littman's study on rapid onset gender dysphoria, Brown determined that removing the article from news distribution is the most responsible course of action. Folks. Folks. Come on. Come on. We're not all idiots, right? This has nothing to do with Questions about uh, uh, data collection and research design. What a bunch of cowards at Brown! What a bunch of utter cowards! Okay, just say it. Just say what's really going on here. You do not want this study to be out there with Brown's, you know, with Brown's uh, imprimatur on it, because it challenges core beliefs of the loony left when it comes to gender. That's what's really going on here. Here's and it continued. By the way, I mean I can't read the whole statement to you, but it's it's exactly what you would expect. A lot of just you know mealy mouth, weasel word nonsense. "Quote the school's commitment to studying and supporting the health and well being of our sexual and gender minority populations is unwavering. Our faculty and students are on the cutting edge of research on transgender populations domestically and global. The commitment of the school to diversity and inclusion is central to our mission." And we pride ourselves on being a community that fully recognizes and affirms the full diversity of gender and sexual identity in its members. These commitments are an unshakable part of our core values as a community, end quote. That's right. Gender diversity is more important than the truth at an American university. That's what this is. That is what they're saying. Forget science. Who cares about the data? Who cares about science? It's more important that we be inclusive to the full spectrum of gender identity. And this is what we we're up against. You know, These are the people on the left who want to lecture us about truth and facts and science and all this other stuff when it, they really just want the affirmation of their emotional needs through politics. That's what really this all comes down to. Uh, they, they want the data to support their virtue signaling on gender on everything, and when it doesn't, they scrap the data. And they also send a very clear message here, folks, to anyone else at Brown or or elsewhere across the country. You think about doing the numbers on this, running the numbers, they're going to come after you. So next time they try to tell you, oh, well, you know, this is what the experts say. Just say, no, actually, the experts are mostly scared on this issue because that's the truth. Certainly the truth at Brown. Folks, sometimes science gets it right. What am I talking about this time? Well... Turns out there's a little study that broke over the weekend that uh, says that eating red meat and cheese is good for you. Folks, come on. We've known this all. You and I have known all along that, of course, eating red meat and cheese is good for you because red meat and cheese are what great Americans eat. Okay? It, this notion that we should be eating the processed, carb-heavy, sugar-laden crap that the big food companies want to just keep because it's shelf-stable, because it's easy to ship, it's easy to to store, and it lasts forever—that uh, the, the, that should be a part of, or a major part, I, I should say, of your your diet. It's just it's just crazy. Okay, it's crazy, but that's what we were told for a long time. Now it turns out, according to researchers at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, they found out that people who scarf down higher levels of red meat and cheese are likely to live longer. That's right, folks. Eat that burger. Pound that cheddar. Because you will live longer, according to this study. Quote, our findings on full-fat dairy and unprocessed red meat do challenge conventional thinking. Those eating the most dairy and red meat saw their chances of early death fall by 25% and fatal heart attacks decreased by 22%. My friends, look, I, I've, I've run this experiment before. Uh, I went through a period where I was trying to do the, you know, I was trying to eat uh, whole grains and, and toast and all these things and trying to eat these, you know, sort of smaller, lighter uh, carb, you know, heart-healthy, carb-laden meals, and, and I was really struggling uh, to, to, to shed any excess weight. And I mean, the best shape I've been in in recent years would have been about 18 months ago when I had dropped about 15 and was lean for me. Uh, And I was eating, I was eating three egg omelets and bacon every day. My cholesterol was fantastic. My body fat was way down. And it's just, I'm telling you, you want to eat real food. And real food means things that you want to eat. It doesn't mean the, the high sugar crap that they're putting in front of you. But it also just reminds us all, right, that, that you know, a, a little bit of humility in this whole world of, of diet and science and everything would be a nice thing from the media. You know, they change our dietary advice all the time. And yet we're always told, well, the scientific consensus, the scientific consensus. Consensus is not science, We all know this consensus is not science. It's all about proving. It's all about the data. It's replicating the same experiment over and over. Um, And, you know, oh, by the way, another study. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Darn it. Wait, is this the same study? This would be amazing, folks, if this just came across my screen now. I I think it may be. I think it may be. um, Hold on. New research. Is this the same one? Current advice to, no, folks, this is, this is additional evidence. This is the European Society of Cardiology. According to NBC News, it's time to reconsider low dairy diets. That's right, cheese and yogurt found to protect against death from any cause and de- and also death from cere- uh, cerebrovascular causes like stroke. Folks, another study here that just, this is from today. I wasn't even thinking that these were—I actually thought I had two pieces of research in front of me here that were the same story. You know, so I wanted to—but no, actually, these are two different stories. This is amazing. This is from the Medical University of uh, Poland—take that as you will—who led this study, say that uh, the the average age of the participants— Oh, anyway, they went into all the different details, but this is the point. The consumption of any kind of dairy associated with a 2% lower risk of death from any cause. Folks, 8% lower total mortality risk with uh, a dairy of a lot of cheese. I mean, this is, eat red meat and eat full fat cheese, folks. That's what you're being told. Eat real food. Eat food as it exists in nature. Don't believe all the, you know, all the fad-based dietary crap that's out there. Eat real food. Uh, and you know, this is you kind of know this intuitively, but then when you see the science going this direction, it's just a great day for America. Eat red meat, eat cheese. Now, I know people say, Buck, you know, everything in moderation, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a steakhouse not long ago that had all the calories listed for steaks. I'm like, I don't want to know how many calories are in my ribeye. I know it's too much, okay? I, I, I don't need to be told this. I'm here to enjoy my ribeye. Uh, but you know the the point here is that this all this stuff about stay away from this, stay away from that, eat all this cardboard tasting crap, the stuff we were told for so long, it was wrong, it was wrong, and and now you're being told to eat the food that you want to eat, eat the food that tastes delicious, and I just think that's in general an exciting, uh, an exciting proposition, uh, and I'm I'm happy about all all that stuff. So. You know, I got good news for you today and i like to share it with you. That's what I'm here for, folks. Here to bring you the good news that others will skip over. The mainstream media can't trust them. Uh, we're going to get into roll call here in, in uh, just a moment. Uh, also, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast of this show because there's extras that go into your feed like Shields High and also the Freedom Hut podcast, which this week is going to be a phenomenal one. Uh, we'll be right back.
1: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
4: The dubstep.
0: Roll Call. It is back, my friends. The dubstep. And uh, I watched, you know, I flew back from Los Angeles. What was it? Last night. Got in kind of late. Was doing uh, Rising this morning on about four hours sleep, as one does. NBD. No big deal, as the kids say. But I watched Deadpool 2 which i i liked deadpool 1 brandon you you support this i thought deadpool 1 was very good for what it was i did enjoy deadpool 1 i did not Right, see the it sequel. was good and it was funny yeah, yeah. I, I liked i liked deadpool 1 i thought it was good uh deadpool 2 was okay kind of lacked plot and and purpose but there was a lot of there was some funny there was a lot of funny stuff i thought there was almost too much funny stuff but one thing is a recurring joke in deadpool 2 is dubstep specifically uh, them making fun of dubstep, and uh, I just thought that was that was amusing because it is it, it had its moment in the sun. I don't know if it's ever going to come back. For those of you who don't know, dubstep is well. It's kind of like what we played as the intro. It is um, how do we put this? It's like heavy beat electronic music. How would you did, Brandon? You're you're a DJ. How do you define dubstep? I think you got it. You nailed it pretty well.
5: Okay. The heavy electronic
0: yeah. music, sure. Heavy electronic music, right? Like very beat and bass heavy electronic music. All right, fair enough. All right, let's get to roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is the roll call rally and cry. That is where we do all the things that we do. And let's get right to it. We have Nicholas who writes, Buck, I listen to your show as many others do. I am concerned if conservatism is lost in this November's election, what will happen to our country? Are we headed to another civil war? Instead of segregation, though, it will be between Dems and Republicans' thoughts. Nicholas, I am, unlike some of the others out there who know that being a catastrophist is good for business, I'm here to tell you that we're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean we're not going to take losses and, take some hits. I'm not saying that there won't be some really ugly stuff if uh, conservatives uh, well, if, if the GOP loses in this midterm election you can mark my words, they are going to try and uh, criminally prosecute a member of the Trump family. I don't know which one. I don't know how, but that will be the mission. That will be the goal. that That's something that I'm I'm very confident of and think about what that will do to the country. You know, think about how they have been willing to destroy somebody like General Flynn who served his country for 30 years in the military. But what, what was Flynn's real sin? Was it that he lied or was it that he supported Trump? We all know the answer to that, right? We all know why he's facing a federal, why he had to plead guilty to a federal felony. Um, but I don't think we're heading for a civil war. I won't say that. Um, and I I think that ultimately... One thing that that we have on our side here is the country's doing. I keep saying it's the country's doing really well. We we've got an incredible economic boom going on right now. Jobs, manufacturing, the economy across the board. Plus uh, the you know we're we're not we're not in the midst of a major uh, war. We're not in the midst of you know receiving daily casualty counts about our troops overseas. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be really thankful for right now, folks. I mean, I'm not saying everything's great and we got no problems. Of course not. But things are good. You know, we don't have this sense that radical Islam is about to fly a bunch more planes into our buildings or or, uh, you know, park truck bombs in front of major populated areas. And, and that was our reality for years, for years in recent memory. So the country is doing really well, and I think that's important for all of us to remember. Brian, uh, which also means I think we're not going to do the Civil War. Listening to the end of Monday's podcast, I imagine a scene in my head starring you and the Godfather. Buck, I feel like I want to trash the trash talk the boondock saints, but I'm afraid it will anger some of my listeners. Godfather, if you do, you may want to lay low afterwards. Buck, can you cover for me on Tuesday? Shields high, Buck. Shields very high. Brian, you may be on to something. I can neither confirm nor deny. I... I People love the Boondock Saints. Is is producer Mike within earshot, or is he getting is he getting a phone number for one of the lovely ladies that works in finance in, in the building on the different floors or whatever? Oh, yeah. so he is getting somebody's phone number. All right, producer producer Mike, man, that guy's always you got to keep an eye on producer Mike. He's a ladies man. Um, but anyway, the uh, Brian, I mean, uh, Brandon, Boondock, Brian's writing. Brandon, I'm talking to Boondock Saints. What's your grade for it? A A B. B plus, a B, I, I mean see, nothing I think crazy. Fair. You
3: know, I think it's. I, mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I never got the immense hype. No, uh, I,
0: I I don't yeah. understand the immense hype either. The best part of the movie is the is the intro and the intro music. That's the best part of the whole movie. Uh, the rest of it, I mean, when you okay, let me just do this. When you compare the gunplay in Boondock Saints, I know people say this is unfair, but compare that to like John Wick and just the sli- and they're very similar movies in a lot of ways, right? There's a there's some similar stuff going on. John Wick is like. John Wick's in, it's just incredible, and it's just so stylish and well done. And blew me away.
3: I was surprised by you, how good John Wick was. I agree with you.
0: Right? I think, I think John Wick is great, uh, and you know, John Wick 2 delivers. It's not quite as awesome as John Wick 1, but it delivers. It's solid. Anyway, uh, but Brian, to each, to each his own. Melissa, greetings. I wish you would have Mike Rowe on as a guest. Besides being an excellent raconteur, he has a wealth of knowledge about choosing trade schools over college, I think he would be great on the show. Thanks, keeping the shields high and our pilums leveled. Oh, well, look at Melissa throwing a little reference to the ancient Roman javelin known as the pilum. It was a weighted spear uh, with a a wooden shaft, and then it and then at the end the the tip was metal, and it kind of had a a a metal projection out of the top as well. I'm trying to describe the pilum to you, but it's a uh, the way it was weighted, it was a very effective short distance throwing spear that the uh, Roman legions carried. Legionaries carried. Uh, David, next up here. Um, oh, by the way, Mike. Sorry, Melissa. Mike Rowe is a guest. It would be fantastic, folks. I'll, I'll always be honest with you. There are some of these guests that you ask us for, and they're you know they are uh, respect. They respect what we do here in the Freedom Hut, and, and it's just tough to coordinate schedules. Uh, you know, I, I was actually trying to get. My last trip out to L.A., of course, I reached out to Ben Shapiro. I'm like, Ben, we'd love to sit down, do an interview with you. And Ben says, great, you know, and, and we just couldn't make the schedules work this time. But next time we'll do it. So, you know, there's plenty of folks that are on the radar. I'm trying to uh, trying to get involved with uh, and, and have on as guests and particularly as podcast guests. And it's just a question of getting them at a time when they can do it um, and when I can do it. TJ writes, Buck, long time, no talk. I was in Europe for the last two weeks. Try to keep up with you on podcasts, but hard to do while on vacation. Sorry, TJ, you're allowed to take a break. We had lots of good food, good beer, German, of course, good wine, Tuscan, and fun in general. But nothing's as good as the good old U.S. of A. This especially became apparent when on the last day I was talking to my distant relative. Apparently in Germany, it is illegal to homeschool your children. The state literally requires you to send your kids to public school. This was definitely alarming for me, as my wife is expecting... And uh, although it may be likely that our child ends up going to public school, I just can't fathom being required to send him there. It really brings into perspective how free we are. God bless the USA from TJ. TJ is a great American and a patriot and a friend of the show. Um, yeah, yeah, man, it's, you know, Europe, there's a lot. We, we, we are more free. I think we often get this sense from the media and it's because they love the, the big welfare state stuff in Europe. But that, oh, Europe is just as free as we are. False. False. There is really no First Amendment in Europe. It does not exist. It's certainly not in the sense that we think of it. It doesn't even exist in Great Britain, folks. The First Amendment, free speech is way less protected in the UK than it is in America. Way less protected. So, you know, don't don't forget that when everyone's saying, oh, we should just be like a European socialist guy. Nah, I'm not sure about that, folks. Uh, There's a lot of downside that comes with that, uh, and I would not want to just sign on to it. Um, Alan writes... Hey Buck, did you get a chance to stroll around Venice Beach? Interesting place. You should have seen it 30 years ago. It was not so gentrified. Just read about just read about Hillary and her 30,000 emails. Can you imagine the power the Chinese would have over her if she became president and they had all those emails? Scary stuff. Alan, yeah, Alan, I really want to. Okay, okay well, two things. Let's first deal with the Hillary emails, then I'll talk about Venice Beach for a moment. I really want to get verification of this story about the Chinese hack of Hillary's emails. I've seen, Look, Daily Caller's put it up. I like the folks at Daily Caller a lot, but, but I, I want to make sure that we're on solid ground there. I don't want to pull a CNN and run with the story because I would honestly like it to be true in a sense. I mean, as much as it would be bad for the country, I've always believed that Hillary's emails were hacked and somebody does have them, so it's not like it would be a new thing. We just would know it now. We'd know the truth. Um, so I, I want to get a little more Uh, A little more background on that one. And then as for uh, the discussion about um, Venice Beach, or rather as for your comment about Venice Beach. Yeah, I did get to Venice. I was on the boardwalk. I got to say, it's a little, you know, a little bit like the East Village on a beach. It was okay. I'm not, I mean, I didn't love it. I wouldn't run back to go to the boardwalk in Venice. I'm more of a Santa Monica guy myself, which probably surprises none of you. Uh, A little, little more of a Santa Monica dude. Uh, so yeah, but Ms. Molina had a great time. It's beautiful weather. And look, I understand California. It's very seductive folks. Put all the liberalism aside. California is a very seductive place to, to call home. We're going to leave it there for today in the Freedom Hut. Um, we're going to have Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell this week on the Freedom Hut podcast, folks. That's going to be amazing. So uh, be sure you subscribe and download to that. See you tomorrow from the Freedom Hut live from DC as always. Shield high. If you want the best home security system on the market, one that you'll find intuitive, easy to use, unobtrusive in your home, right? It fits right in with whatever you got. It's not some big system, it doesn't require installation. You can do it yourself, folks. Simply safe is what you want, okay? They give you 24 7 monitoring for only $14.99 a month. CNET, PCMag, The Wirecutter, all have said Simply Safe is their top pick for home security. I have a Simply Safe system at home. Let me tell you that it gives me a little extra peace of mind knowing that whenever I close my door, I know that my windows, uh, my front door, and fire, uh, all kinds of possible concerns, leaks, burst pipes, intruders—all that covered because I've got Simply Safe. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns by going to simplysafe.com/buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck. Again, one more time for the best system in the business, simplysafe.com slash buck.